Huzzah. Welcome to a new episode of Stuck at Home with me, Cliff Dorfman, and this guy. This guy. Uh, the guy who has like 13 of his uh, 20 or 25 uh, New Year's resolutions, all based around his beard in some way, fish, shape, or form. Jason, Jason. Smith. Uh, and welcome to Stuck at Home. We're the show that watches all the shows and uh, finds the ones we love so we can let you know what you should love. And we'll tell you all about the streaming wars, what to stream, where to stream it, etc. Etc. Can I just tell you how much I like the new theme? Because it tells us exactly what we are. We're stuck at home. Yep. During quarantine. Yep. And we're stuck at home during quarantine. Yeah, yep. yeah. Which is all you really need to know about what's going on right now. We're stuck at home. And Cliff and during Jason quarantine. are stuck at home. Yeah, yeah. That's it's all true. It's all true. <laughs> it's all true. So I, I think you can never go wrong with an all true. Yeah, it's it's based on a true story. It's a biography, and there's there's been nothing filled in. Like it's there. It's not what we call historical fiction. It's a it's a it's a song based it's, on our lives. It, it really is. And on top of it, you know, we've been just killing it in the music department with Blake Neely last episode, and and today with, I mean, Jason Bentley. I mean, like oh, this is amazing. It's yeah. I mean, somebody, this guy's career is, is when we insane. got that thing. It's like, hey. Jason Bentley from, uh, you know who that is? Like, yeah, hell yeah, dude, shut up. Are like, you they're kidding? Like, no, do I know who this but person is? But that's why, because people are humble comes... even around him, right? Right, exactly. Right, you, you can't be a know. tastemaker like that without, you know, there's a humility that comes with it because you have to be yeah. open to everything, I think, which I'm going to ask right. him. That's right, you got to be like, oh, yeah, 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 I just do this thing. I just, uh, morning becomes eclectic, yeah, blah, blah, blah. I, yeah. Think he's, I think right now he's sitting behind 1,000 records. I'm not sure, but I think that's, that's what's going on right probably now. Probably at 10,000. And he, <laughs> by the way, he's not just the host of that. He's the music director, I believe, of KCRW. Now, yeah. It's like, you know, I mean, I think we have him to thank for the national. And I think every every day of my life, I'm thankful for the national. I'm not kidding. And I'm not saying, you know, I'm saying that he's someone who put it into the zeitgeist. It's not that they weren't a great band and all these things, but I really believe Jason. You don't know, how, we're going to get into talking to him, but I'll tell you what I did do. I, I listened to more music this weekend. I don't know if it was a Blake influence, Christmas, and then now having Jason on, which I, we knew we were having. I have just been, I don't know, I've been listening to new stuff. Crap, but I like it. <laughs> and, I like, and the I like that you thing. already previously like, it wasn't good. Like, that's kind of where it feels like, and I, I mean, I'm really excited to talk to Jason about his podcast because he's got some really cool people coming on yeah. and the, the, the structure of it's 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 music but it's more um, it's called the backstory right yeah the backstory it's really great but it's also like I don't want to like go hey I like this band because you know Jason's like yeah I heard about them or like he's like he already listened to all their albums 20 years ago or 10 years ago he's like ah I'm over it already so it's like afraid to you know afraid to share those so you just listen to all your favorite stuff in like quietness like I hope I hope this is cool right now I hope I'll no. listen to cool music not me not me yeah. at all it's all white snake for you Anything I'm listening to, it's not like anyone's discovering. You know, it's already been <laughs> discovered. People already either love it or hate it. I'll tell you what, though. Taylor Swift's album and her song with Bon Iver is uh, by far, that song is my top favorite song of 2020. Really? Have you heard this? I think I have, but I don't want to admit that I think it's my favorite song. So let me, I'll have to listen to it again. Oh, the Bon Iver's voice and the bridge on this, it's, it's just, so I listened to that. And then Ed Sheeran came out with a new song. And I'm, I'm an Ed Sheeran groupie. I, yeah, I really so, is my, so is my daughter. It's weird. You and my daughter don't share a lot of the same tastes, but when it comes to uh, Ed cheering, it's gross. Like, you guys both have the same shirts. Um, you guys both are in the same fan club. It's weird, like, seeing you guys on the same uh, same Facebook. Yeah, I'm basically a 16-year-old girl <laughs> is, is what I am. Well, uh, Locked inside my body. Well, should we just get to it? Because um, I'm really excited for you guys to, oh, yeah. to talk, and um, and I really want to learn more I about that. Uh, because it just came out. The backstory is coming out. Um, I think it just released. And, is the uh, first episode with Kristen just, Bell out yet? Or, yeah, yeah. Oh, it came out him. two weeks ago. It just released. There's there's a couple episodes out right now, but uh, 
Yeah, just really fired up for this thing. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. We would love to welcome to our humble show and abode, Oz Duggan the host of the new podcast, The Backstory, uh, in association with, I think it's Studio 101 and Soho House. Uh, I believe the first episode is with Kristen Bell. He is the host of Morning Eclectic, right? The Morning is Eclectic on KCRW and the music director. I mean, we can get into all this, but ladies and gentlemen, I don't want to waste any more time. Jason Bentley. <laughs> What's up, boy? Hey, guys. How you doing? How are you? Nice to see you, man. Good Thanks to for being see you. here. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you're in LA, huh? I'm at home in LA, yeah. <laughs> uh, with my wife and our two sons who uh, we just had three months ago. Oh my God, congratulations. Yeah, talk, about, talk about staying at home in quarantine, wow. the pregnancy and their birth. So it's it's been a uh, it's been daddy daycare 24-7 here at the, uh, at the studio. I'm going to use my first... Fuck. <laughs> I mean, I get it. The first three months are the hardest. Did you have twins? Twin boys, yeah. <laughs> Jason, yeah. how's your wife doing? <laughs> Hanging in there. I mean, you know, we're loving it, but it's it's definitely the the biggest challenge I've I've ever taken on. I mean, I, I don't know if, if you're a parent, but Oh, uh, I am. He's yeah. 16. It never stops. It's life yeah. without parole. Yeah. So you're only uh, as happy as your unhappiest kid. <laughs> so uh that's been what it's all about for me lately. So, is that all vinyl behind you? I'm so jealous. Oh, yeah. That's a record collection behind me. It actually goes along uh, all the walls here. It goes both both sides all the way down and out there. Oh, my God. CDs up top. Yeah. So, it's it's about 20,000 pieces of vinyl and about... 8,000 CDs. Oh, you know, I know what I'm going to get you for next Christmas is one of those like ladders on wheels that go sideways. <laughs> I could use that. <laughs> That's what it looks like in there. All right. So first of all, I don't know if you remember, I think we've worked together like way back in the club days. Like when you were, you and Bossa Nova, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I feel like, I don't know which club it was at, but I worked with DK. I worked, do you remember DK? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, a little South African dude who like owned uh, Wall Street downtown. I mean, this is all old okay. school stuff. Yeah. And then there was the Highlands. So I knew you from back in the club day, even like before you had uh, gotten on, on K-Rock. Yeah. Because right? you were doing all these huge uh, electronic dance DJ stuff. And you were one of the biggest in, I want to say, yeah. the country. Yeah. Right? I mean, certainly L.A., West Coast. But um that was just my youth culture. I mean, I was the scene that I, w- I was involved in was the whole uh, dance music explosion out of the 90s. That was my thing. That was my British invasion. That was my punk rock. That was it. And so all the, the clubs and DJing and throwing parties and everything, that was really defining. And, and that's really why I keep this, this record collection. It's, it's just where I'm coming from. And That's what made me bring it up yeah. is the records because I know you used to spin vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. In I've fact, seen you pull down my record boxes that, that I would, I would truck around the clubs. Uh, who, who, who was your assistant who held your record, your milk crates? <laughs> uh, it would, it would probably vary from week to week. Cause it was automatic. You know, you get in the club like immediately, you just walk through I like, know. DJ coming through. 
I know. I was a door guy at all these places, so believe me, I know. I was like, oh, yeah, the guy. Anyone could have just walked in holding a milk crate of vinyl, and I would have been like, oh, I was with the DJ. Yeah. Yeah, it's harder nowadays because you got flash drives, and you're like, no, really, really, I am the DJ. <laughs> it's just me. I have this one little thing. Um, so, so what I'm interested in, though, because it, back then, getting a spot as a DJ on any station, let alone K-Rock, was, was a huge, uh, it was like a fait accompli. And how the hell did you land that job on K-Rock? Because I remember knowing you as a DJ around town and that you were big. But then you got that. I was like, what the fuck? How did Jason Bentley get that huge gig? So can you just yeah. walk me into that? Because it was no small feat. I think I think the guys at K Rock were trying to you know crack the code of of this movement of the electronic thing that was happening and and coming from overseas, and they needed someone authentic. They needed someone to help uh, with that vision. Uh, their sort of expertise was in more straight ahead rock, and also the like hip hop rock hybrid that was that was coming out that time. Yep. So they tapped me because I had already been at KCRW for a couple years and was making waves and was DJing out in the community. And I think they just kind of caught wind and, and gave me a shot. I mean, my time slot on K-Rock was like midnight to three or four in the morning on Saturday nights. So it was prime time. <laughs> but it was for everyone who went out. Yeah, exactly. It was the right the right audience at that time. But yeah, catch you on the way to Steve Castro's After Hour Club. Yeah, there was, was a thing. All right, so go and, on. And it probably kept me honest through those years as well because I like <laughs> had something to do. I got a job, um, but yeah, I think uh, you know they they just heard that I was a good guy and and was really authentic with the music and uh, and put me on. So I was on K Rock for fourteen years doing a show called After Hours there. Yeah, I know it well. So and that experience now did that overlap? So when they what, how long now has it been that you've been hosting? Uh, morning becomes eclectic. Well, yeah, I wanted to clarify. I actually, I actually stepped down from KCRW last fall. Uh, after <sighs> yeah, after ten years of being music director and host of Morning Becomes Eclectic, I just decided that it was time for a change. I mean, I knew I wanted to start a family. I needed to change my focus in life because the thing about that job is you have to be all in. I mean, it's every single weekday. 9 a.m. You're on the radio. You're interviewing bands three, four times a week. So you're always prepping for that. Um, it, and I, I really needed to give my all to it. I had this sense of responsibility to the community and the audience. You know, I really, I really just. I mean, maybe there's a different way to approach that job, but the way that I needed to approach it was to just be 110. percent So I couldn't really figure out how to have like a successful relationship and family life, like at the same time as that job. And also there are a lot of things happening at the station. They were moving to a new studio facility. You know, for years and years, we we're in the basement of some crappy uh, studio that never meant to be a studio. It was, in the, uh, it was underneath the uh, student cafeteria at SMC. Is that and, where it was? Yeah, and then wow. there was something about that dingy studio experience. Like it was so lived in that like it was home. You know, we created that space and the magic that it was. And when, when the station was moving a year and a half, two years ago uh, to an, a beautiful new facility, 30,000 square feet, state of the art, it just changed the dynamic for me. And I just sort of looked around and said, you know what, it's time, it's time for new, a new, uh, new generation here at the station. So I hung up the headphones. I mean, it's so interesting. So right when they offer you the corner office, you <laughs> come out. 
<laughs> Thanks for the really big 38,000 square foot studio. I'm going to go home and uh, have twins and start a podcast. By the way, I have to tell you, Jason, um, what you're saying is fascinating, but I did the same thing two and a half years ago with writing. I was like, you know, the same exact feeling. I was in this game. I was like, the, the kids got to get to the streets. You know, it's time for a, a different look. And I got into this end of yeah. the business because it just interested me. And I all I did was watch stuff. So you take your music and now you build this podcast, right? With Studio 101 and yeah. uh, Soho House. Soho House. And what was interesting about this opportunity was that it was so different for me. Um, it's not necessarily a music podcast. It's more entertainment and, you know, directors and actors and, and whatnot. And so it's a little bit out of my comfort zone, which is something I welcomed because that's how you grow. You know, I, I had done literally thousands of interviews with everyone from Jack White to, you know, John Legend to, I mean, countless, countless artists. Wait, I got to interrupt. What was your favorite interview? <laughs> favorite interview? Yeah, or top three. I'll take top three. I mean, favorite would be great. That's such a tough one. I mean, I well, I mean, Jack, I think Jack White's an American treasure. So Agreed. Um, I interviewed him a few times over the years. Brian Ferry from Roxy Music, um, Orbital, um, all right, I'll take those. I'll let you off the hook. All right, let's move on. So, yeah, you, so you, many. I know, but I wanted to just get a few that popped up yet. It's interesting. Brian Ferry, oh, such a fan. Slave to love. All right, moving <laughs> forward. So the, how does this happen, though? Do, does uh, Soho approach you because you're saying it's out of your comfort zone? So did you come up with this idea and say, I want to do the backstory and talk to entertainment people and not music? Yeah, uh, well, we had been, I've been a member at Soho House for uh, for 10 years in West Hollywood. That was part of the founding membership there. And so I've done events with them and we had kind of talked about and played with this idea of a podcast. And then really when the pandemic hit, it, it sort of ushered more um, movement in that space because I think they wanted to figure out ways to to reach since the clubs are closed, they want right. to figure out ways to reach their membership and, and sort of give them more content and, and help them feel included. And so I think it put a, it put a fast track on the whole production. So they reached out and said, you know, we want to, we want to do this now. And, and how do you feel about this idea? And at first I didn't really like it because it just seemed like, why are you making this more difficult than it needs to be? Cause they, their idea was to put, <laughs> two people at the table with me from different backgrounds mm -hmm. and kind of explore their, their common ground and their common experience. And, you know, to me that made booking so much more difficult because you got to make sure that everybody's kind of cool with each other yeah. and want to kind of talk to each other. And then it makes the actual like interview process more difficult as well. And, you know, even though I have a lot of experience with interviews, you know, for me, uh, I, I, I'm not even like a people person. Like I, I just don't even like people really. So I'm with you, that's really weird. Just, I swear to God, there's like three people in my whole life that I can communicate with. Other than business. people really annoy me. Same. So, why, why does it make you a better interviewer? You think it's, think I'm fascinated by that. I think because, um, I'm naturally inquisitive. I'm honestly interested in people's stories from, you know, from a layman's viewpoint, like, like, I'm just a dumbass. I'm just going to ask the dumb question. I'm not going to put on airs or, or you know, act like I know what's what's going on. So I'm just going to be honest about it. Um, that might be your Boston roots. I am truly, I am truly interested in the human story. You know, I'm, I mean, I think, I think everyone is interesting on some level. So, 
anyway, I'm naturally inquisitive, but, um, but so yeah. So, I mean, yeah. So you say you got to put these two people together at different places. You're used to interviewing people, but, but yeah. why, how does, how do you end up connecting to this and realize this is what I'm going to do? Uh, you know, for me, it was just a cool opportunity and it was, it was just good partners as well. You know, I knew the, the challenges of starting a podcast on my own are, are much greater than having the, the resources and the backing of, of one-on-one studios who make TV shows and movies and have a publicity department and, and you know, all of these resources. And then also Soho House, just having that sort of, um, reputation and and sort of refined luxury i mean not if you know soho house there's there's soho houses around the world and there are members clubs and there's a certain exclusivity to it so you know i looked at it and i was like this is a cool affiliation so why not i couldn't agree more so so but then you're doing stuff like having Kristen bell with a psychologist right yeah yeah this really this very cool uh best-selling author named adam grant mm-hmm. Um, she actually suggested him because she's a big fan of, of this guy. And honestly, I got a lot more out of talking to him. I mean, I know she's the celebrity that everybody knows, and it's amazing to see the, the sort of media pick up on, on her. Um, it just shows you how the, the power of celebrity can translate, but this guy is brilliant. I mean, I, I dove into a couple of his books in preparation for our talk and, um, he's a genius. Um, he's an organizational psychologist, so I think he looks at companies, he looks at groups and organizations and sort of figures out the best dynamic for communication and organization. I love that. And and what's interesting, though, is that Kristen, who is the celebrity, went and used her celebrity to lift this guy up. She's like, I have the guy who I love, which is yeah. so fascinating. Yeah. She has a lot about her celebrity and who she is as a person. Yeah, uh, she, she impressed me a lot. I mean, I think ultimately she's a seeker. You know, she's really always pushing and and trying to discover things about herself and other people's viewpoints. And so I appreciate that about her. Yeah. Listen, I, I love her as a talent and she's on the good place. So, you know, for me, that's it. Yeah. But how, no, wait, how many, Jason and I were talking about this. How many episodes are out now of the backstory? Two out, third one's out tomorrow and, and subsequent Tuesdays. And is the third one, so who's the second one? That was, so the first two are the Kristen Bell one, right? And then, yeah. Yeah, and then uh, a guy named Justin Min, who's from the Umbrella Academy, which is kind of a sci-fi fantasy thing, a superhero thing on uh, Netflix. Yeah, number one watch show in the world. Okay. Yeah. And uh, and Rosalind Chow, who is an a- kind of a veteran actor. She's been in everything from the Joy Luck Club to Milan. Um, so that conversation is more about representation of the Asian American experience in Hollywood. That's kind of, sort of what it turned out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also the first one I did. So I was also really still feeling things out. Um, you know, initially I'm kind of thinking like, am I supposed to be representing Soho house? Am I supposed to be rep- like, you know, I think, you, you know, it's a natural process with this is, is getting used to the format. And, um, I think each episode has gotten better and better. In fact, tomorrow's episode is one of my favorites and that's, uh, Paul Feig, who's director and writer, one of the biggest. I wanted to ask yeah. you if you wore a three-piece suit to your Zoom. <laughs> he did. I knew it. He I did. Yeah. That, is that guy is as polished as you can be, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I asked him, I asked him about that and why he does that. And I asked him uh, who his favorite designer is. And Ooh, just um, tell me who's his favorite designer. I'm gonna listen uh, anyway. He said uh Tom Ford. Oh, I love Tom Ford. 
Tom okay. Ford. Yeah. I, no, we can't afford Tom Ford. Though. No, no, no. That's why I said I love it. I didn't say yeah. I own it. <laughs> Paul Fee can afford, you know, you do Bridesmaids and all those movies. Yeah, you know, Ghostbusters. You know. And yeah, he's big time. Yeah, it's not, um, it's not a small thing. But so who is he on with? With Margaret Cho. Oh, she's so funny. She's cool. How'd that go? All, all tatted up and she was great, you know. And um, I think for that, that all show that that conversation also touched on representation in Hollywood and sort of um, marginalized communities because it's sort of he he kind of has this mission to take um, existing formats like the spy thriller and kind of reinvent it in a way that um, supports a slightly different narrative. Like with Ghostbusters, it was an all female cast. Spy. So yes, yeah, or spy exactly. Mm-hmm. And so he sort of flips the script, and that that's kind of part part of his mission is. Um, is, is pushing people's um, appreciations of diversity a little further. And, you know, that's a similar goal of Margaret Cho's. It's just she does it in a different way. She does it as a stand-up comedian and makes you laugh and makes you squirm and a little bit uncomfortable. But at the <laughs> end of the day, you kind of come away with a better appreciation of, of, of people and their differences. See, I love this. I love this idea. Now, now let me ask you this. Do you... Or have you been finding now that you've been doing episodes and working in this medium now, what are you finding the parallels are to what you did at KCRW? Because music and art and these conversations and psychology, they're all the same to me. Well, the the podcast format allows the sort of long form deep dive that radio never really did. Um, I'd always be on the clock and trying to keep the interviews to, you know, five minutes would be long. Seven minutes would be really long. Um, Mm. so there are some important differences. I mean, radio is typically live, um, linear in terms of the, the conversation and, and local essentially, you know, and podcasting, you're just totally liberated from all of that. And I want to explore it further with this, with this Soho house podcast. I really want to take people to a Soho house and be at the table with us and include all of the the auditory experience that that holds is, you know, the the chatter in the room, the clinking of the glasses, uh, someone you didn't expect coming to the table to say hello all of a sudden. Um, all of that, I'd love to include it and create kind of an immersive experience um, right from when you get there. And I think, honestly, I think that that it kind of, it kind of sells the brand even even more so i mean you know speaking on behalf of soho house you know it's great to promote the idea of this place this cool members club right and so how can we do that and one way is to is to unlock the 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 sonic signature of that experience and so um you know obviously during the pandemic we're doing the best that we can and and so it's it's a lot of these online chats that's fine but in the future, I really want to create an experience where the audience feels like they're right there with us at that corner table at Soho House. Yeah, listen, this makes me really happy to hear you say that. Jason and I are doing a lot of work in the coming year uh, with uh, Audible Originals. And mm-hmm. we're firm believers now that we're back in that time where, you know, radio theater and these audio- auditory experiences like you're talking about mm-hmm. are the new Art Deco. They're the skateboarding in Venice in the 70s. Yeah. Right now, it's coming back because we're so inundated with all the tech. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And also, I'm... Um Fingers crossed it'll all firm up, but I'm close to confirming work on a Coachella podcast. 
And in that case, I really, really want to go out, you know, out in left field in terms of the, the, the immersive experience, because there's so much potential there. You know, you could, you could open the show with a dude hitchhiking on his way, trying to catch rage against the machine on, on the first night of Coachella. And, and you just take people there. You don't even explain it. You just, Boom, you're there. You hear the cars going by. Yeah, I've been trying to get a ride for a couple hours. I hope to make it to Rage. And then you you do a dissolve to uh, the crowd chanting, Rage, 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 Rage. You know, and then maybe you smash cut to an interview with the band, you know, but there's there's no rules with this format. Mm, you, know, you can love do anything. And, um, and anyway, I hope to explore that more at the Coachella podcast. We'll see. And wait, so I'm so, you know, like a dad. So I'm like, you'll, you'll get here. You're too hip still. Uh, so, so has Rage Against the Machine confirmed for next Coachella or are you just making that up? That like, is, I, don't, I don't know. I mean, I would assume since they were on this year that right. they would do the makeup show next year. But I think it's still a big question mark as far as whether there will be one in October. That's been the rumors that they'll pick up in October. What do you think? I think they will. Mm. Do you need anyone to hold your uh, milk creative flash drive? <laughs> My flash drive, yeah. Because yeah, I'm going with you to that one. Jeez, <laughs> that sounds amazing. Now, would you do that also with Studio 101? Like all a part of the same brand? No, that would be AEG who owns Golden Voice, which is the promoter for Coachella. So mm-hmm. that would be AEG Studios uh, would manage that whole thing. And they tell me that we're on the one yard line. We're on the one yard line. So I'm like, great. That's good corporate speak. <laughs> exactly. That's good. You, you say you hung up your headphones, but can you really? I mean, you're Jason Bentley. You, you know, you still have all these amazing connections. I want to jump back to for a second, right? To to uh, beginning of, let's say, morning was eclectic, right? What was it like for you? Because you set the trend. You were such a bellwether on so many different sounds. How are you, you know, I just want to know how your brain worked back then a little bit. Like, what would the, a little of the process, if you have a moment or two to tell me, I wouldn't mind hearing. Uh, well, I think it was, it was, you know, a balance between um, programming, mm-hmm. which just exactly like the word suggests is like creating a language that people understand Programming is repetitions, a pattern of repetitions in music. So first of all, it's the programming of the station. And then you want to balance that with just DJing, which I, I consider purely the art form of the magic of an unexpected song at the right time. And everybody loved it and you nailed it. And yeah. <laughs> so, so between programming and DJing, you sort of is that interplay every day. Uh, the programming side of it, is what connects to the greater ecosystem of the music business. Because you are you have a responsibility at an influential radio station to support new albums coming out, big tours coming to town, media events. You know, that's the programming side of it. And so um, that's that, getting into a regular rhythm of... Um, of that balance was what I was striving for. Um, but you still have some say, right, over what's being programmed and what bands you're choosing to allow us all to hear for maybe the first time ever. Yeah, for sure. And then, you know, you also have that responsibility of um, vetting that band, you know, going to South by Southwest or going to CMJ or whatever conference, checking them out on stage. That and, is your process? Wait, this is interesting. Yeah, I mean, you, you'd really want to, before I endorse this band, I mean, you might play a new record a couple times, but you're only going to go out on a limb, limb for so long um, unless you have a better sense of their chances. 
And, you know, the leading indicators for that are their live show, um, honestly, their, their management, <laughs> a lot of times, their label, um, you know, who are the people around them um, giving them the best chance at success? Because at, at a radio station, if you could kind of own a band, if you could kind of hold on to a band's upward trajectory for as long as possible, I mean, that's gold. I mean, you wouldn't believe how many references there are to the early Adele sessions at KCRW only because we, we were, you know, I would a, believe we, yeah, we're, we're like, an open, we're an open-minded uh, public radio station without the same sort of rules and, and, and confines as commercial radio. And so of course we're going to welcome these emerging artists. And once in a while you get, you know, a record like, uh, uh, Gautier, uh, somebody that I used to know or something, mm. something that's just like a huge breakout and you were the first person to, to talk to them. Um, so that, that became pretty routine actually, even though it sounds like really magical and special, it's just like, there were so many instances where it's, you know, who is it this time it's hosier and then it's this, and then it's that, that's sort of the role that we would play. But it just takes a certain intuition and um, a lot of listening and a lot of coordination with with management and indie labels. And I loved it. I mean, I, it, it was a, a, a passion job for me. Well, and you got paid. So wait, so once you break a band, though, did you find that on the majority, most bands, you know, sink their loyalty to you and KCRW? Or did you find there was a pull? Um, it depended on the band. I mean, the, the good people, uh, and those are the ones that you, you love to support, um, always remember and will come back when, uh, when we needed them, um, for fundraisers and concert events. And, and so, you know, more often than not, they, they would remember their, their early support at, at public radio. It's, it's nice to hear because, you know, you hear a lot of the other way and, uh, it's not that great. Yeah. So, okay. So now you're, you just have had this fascinating career, Jason. So it's, it, it's, it's something that's interesting to me. So, so now you're doing this, you want to do this new podcast. Are you working on music at all now? Or have you just said, it's just for fun? Uh, I am working on music. I, I started a label during, during the, uh, the pandemic and put that's out a record. record. It's called Secret Technology. Ooh. And um, I put out a, a single from an artist friend and, you know, the last time I was working in the record business, it was selling CDs. And so, you know, learning best practices for the digital um, uh, space now and, and uh, you know, Spotify and Apple Music and and working those people, you know, picking up the phone and, and calling friends and contacts. So you, you, you sort of forget that you know these people, but it makes <laughs> a big difference. Um, and What's the so, band you released? Uh, the artist is Latroit, which is like L.A. and Detroit, Latroit. Like and um, yeah, I put out his single. We got over a million streams around the world and I made a music video and I really I really dove into the whole experience of, of uh, starting up a label and I'll do more in the new year behind that. But I'm also working on my own music. And, um, you know, instead of the the discipline of listening to all of the new music every day, I'd listen like from 3 p.m. to 5 p.m. I'd set aside and listen to all of this new music coming out. Now I don't really do that as much because I don't have the same responsibilities. And now I spend that time kind of working on my own tracks. Um, all of the music beds in the backstory are original tracks that I've written. I know that's a really yeah. small example, but it's, not. it's a way for me to get creative and play some things. And um, yeah. 
So yeah, I'm just buying some gear. In fact, I got for uh, for Christmas. My wife gave me a, a modular synthesizer. Jason, are you drooling right now? Jason's very nice. Right? Oh, look at that! A little bit, a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's some drool-worthy stuff right there. So Damn. this is the Mother 32 is analog synthesizer. Yeah, it's a Moog. A Moog. I mean, the Beatles used a Moog. Yeah. So I'm going to spend a lot of time just tweaking on these knobs and and creating sounds. Uh, okay, so you're not leaving music anytime soon, is what is what I'm getting, right? No, man, that's that's my calling. I mean, that's 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 what I love, and and I certainly want to do uh, you know the backstory podcast justice, and and really dive in and understand these points of views. Um, but music is my first love. And and let me ask you that. That brings me to a great kind of closing question for me, which is this: Music is your love, right? And I say this with the utmost respect. You do not write or read music, correct? Or do you? No, not in a formal way. I, I everything's by ear. Everything that that to me is beyond fascinating. You have done this by ear. So when you're a kid and you're growing up in Boston, is that right? I'm going to make this really fast. You're growing up in Boston. What was there a moment? Just a moment where you were like music is my thing. I am now going to be in music, even though I don't play, even though I don't read it or write it, I'm going to become a music God. Cause that's what you did. I mean, really? Yeah. So. yeah I mean, um, I love, I loved radio in Boston, kiss 108 WBCN. Um, yeah. And then, you know, I just, I just loved, uh, bands, um, the who and all the eighties bands and, uh, Def Leppard's was was my first album that I bought. I mean, I, High and Dry. Was that no High and uh, Dry? Pyro, Pyromania. Pyromania. Yeah, yeah. that's a, you're younger than me. All right, I have to let you go because Jason's here. But I want you to think about that, Jason Bentley, and please come back, would you? Pleasure. Yeah. yeah. And real quick before you go, um, I uh -huh. was hoping that you could do a quick shout out for your podcast, but and then so we could clip it so we can make sure we have some uh, stuff for social. But I've been specifically asked to request that you do it in your best KCRW morning becomes eclectic voice because we haven't heard any of that that specific radio voice for this interview and i apologize for that in advance but it's an requirement from people much higher about higher up than me i better break out the microphone uh -oh, here it comes. <laughs> it's all about the proximity effect you know that the closer you get to the microphone emphasize the the deep tone oh, i know jason the <laughs> there I'm you right go up here man so what you want me to promote the backstory yes please yes all right, I'm Jason Bentley, and uh, I've got a new podcast, and uh, it's called The Backstory through 101 Studios and Soho House. Every Tuesday, it is out wherever you find your podcasts. Signing off. Thanks, guys. Perfect. Love All it. Right, thank I you, I could have started meditating. Jason Bentley, ladies right. and gentlemen, thank you for being here, buddy. Thanks, Seriously. All right. Have a great thank time. you so much. Take care. Happy New Year. Early. Bye. Okay. Oh, what way. a guy. That oh, was so cool. I get greedy. You know, I could have kept talking to him. That's oh, like, I know. We could, have, we could have gone forever. I I was, I, you, you'd actually said, Hey, I'm going to ask one last question. I was like, all right, okay. I can get in here. Yeah, Cause I knew I had to say that. <laughs> I was like, if I didn't say that for myself, I'm like an addict, you know, I'm that's like, right. if I don't say that for myself. I know it's like, no, I'm going to have one more hit of the joint and then I'm going upstairs and that's that. You know what I'm addicted to? I do. Comfort. I'm addicted to comfort. I'm addicted to being comfortable and if it if I have something that makes me comfortable, I want all the things that make me comfortable. If I have one pair of underpants that make my balls feel like they're um, floating down the Nile, um, just like in a t inner tube drinking beer, then I need all my underpants to feel like I'm I'm tubing all the time with my underpants. Um, and I don't know how that makes sense because it'd be wet and whatever. But it was just I'm just saying the comfort of 
I don't know. I feel like if my balls were just floating in water, they'd be very comfortable. And that's how, uh, that's how I like them to feel. I just, and we're talking about me undies, but before we just, and everyone knows we love me undies, but just to be clear, Jason was floating down the Nile in an inner tube drinking beer like Moses. Well, like, yeah, I wouldn't say like Moses so much. Well, Maybe like I wouldn't be in a basket. I'd be in a tube. Like this person floating on the Nile was yeah, Moses. That's true. But mine would be more, <laughs> more, um, inner tube, be less baskety. There would be very few wave with baskets. Those are itchy, but, but you, you know, have to wrap your basket in something. If it was, if, it, if that basket was made out of a fiber that was beechwood tree and it was very thin, then yes, Sustainable give me Moses' tree? basket and let me cup my circumcised wiener in it. Sustainable beechwood trees that turn pulp to yarn? Pulp to yarn. So, and yes. With micromodal technology micromodal. by MeUndies? I like them comfy. And not to be confused with my undies, which I sell in a vending machine on Etsy, um, MeUndies. My undies are just my me undies that I sell after I soil them to uh, businessmen. Me undies are something that me undies sells that you can actually get and aren't a, an imaginary thing. Oh, that I I'm just not got that. That's terrible. <laughs> no. No. Oh, that's a oh, bad. Okay. <laughs> bad, Jason. <laughs> Not okay to do those jokes to me because <laughs> now I can't unsee that. And I have to talk. Jason, by the way, he puts his shit where his pants are because he got me for Christmas a whole year's supply of me undies. Oh, yeah. Like, this is a guy. And by the way, he could have got me anything. He spent the money. It's not like he went and got something free. Nope. And he really practices what he preaches. Am mm -hmm. I wrong? No, not at all. I, uh, I actually, you know, and those aren't even my undies. I, I didn't even. <laughs> No. <laughs> <laughs> I love so, them. I love wait, them the wait, most. Wait. And I, I, I mean it. And I, I think that you can give the gift of comfort all year round. Um, $19.99 a month for the membership. Every month you get new comfort delivered to wrap your music in. Yep. That's right. That's right. It's a perfect wrapper. It's it, don't bore us. Get to the chorus. And when I say chorus, I mean micromodal. Micromodal me undies. So go to, I'm going to take this part. Yep. Why not? Meundies.com. Offer code stuck. That's right. MeUndies.com offer code stuck or go to Etsy.com slash MyUndies slash Jason. Um, actually, that's not that. Don't. I said no. <laughs> MeUndies.com, 15% off, free shipping. Get the membership. That's it. Offer code stuck. Or, and thank you for hanging out with us while we pay the bills. But we do love MeUndies. Yes, we do. Um, okay, so we got some news, but we, you know, we got, a, it's a little bit of a slow week. Everything's a little bit slower. Yeah. So, um, I'm going to talk about some news that's just going to go straight into some content because we got to get to this. Oh, great. Please. All right. So this is my article that I'm sure will just start us into the end of this. So, uh, buckle up folks. Oh boy. Uh, Warner brothers has oh. green lit, uh, wonder woman three after what they call Fucking the travesty of Sorry, wonder woman, 1984, which took success, in success. Yeah, it took in an estimated 36.1 million globally from the 42 markets this weekend, including the USA and Canada. Um, uh, and uh, this this it makes it 68.3 million total with a worldwide tally of 85 million. Um, I think in the United States, it pulled in about 16 million dollars. Um, and then um, that it says that nearly half of HBO Max's 12.6 million active users watched the film on December 25th. So as far as they're concerned, uh, here's the statement from them. 
this is from Warner Media's direct consumer business. Warner Brothers 1984 broke records and exceeded our expectations across all our viewing and subscribing metrics in its first 24 hours on the service and the interest and momentum we're seeing indicates this will likely continue well beyond this weekend. Uh, during these very difficult times, it was nice to give families the option of enjoying this uplifting film at home where theater viewing wasn't an option. All right, Cliff Dorfman, I just wanted to let you know that. Um, I'm, I'm, how do you like uh, Wonder Woman 1984? I mean, it honestly almost makes me want to re-watch King of Staten Island. <laughs> because this fucking atrocity. I mean, this thing that they call a movie, first of all, the key word in that press statement to me is the word metrics. Right. There's not a fucking artist in the house, including the goddamn people, excuse me, I don't like to use the Lord's name in vain, the damn people who make the movie, Patty Jenkins. Who said Patty Jenkins is the only movie that she has ever made, in my humble opinion, that's good, or great, I will say, is Monster. And by the way, you only need to make one great movie in your whole life, and if you do, you're lucky. So she did that. Mm -hmm. And then she made everything bad. She remade Carrie. How do you make Chloe Grace Moritz fail? She's one of the best, brightest, like, biggest stars, and yep. that movie sucked. I mean, and then she does Wonder... First of all, Wonder Woman, it was fine, the first one. I know you kind of liked it, but like you said, it was oh, a no, Care no, Bear. Oh, no, no, I didn't at all. It's a no, Care I, Bear. Uh, it's a Care Bear uh, movie. Yeah, it's a Care Bear movie. And and there's no, again, like, I feel like J.J. Abrams has more connection to characters than this person. And on top of it, now, now you, you for Gal Gadot, I mean, first of all, I didn't know she's raised by the whitest women in the world. Like, Robin, and Robin Wright with her accent? And at least yeah. she had an accent, but... I, did they, did she, now there's a question I have. Did she have that accent in the first one? No, I don't remember not that, that accent. I remember. Did she just develop it Someone for the second one? Someone proved me wrong. Yeah, because people got mad. Oh, I bet. Like, I, I bet. But let me tell you something. Again, even the little girl. First of all, why do I want to watch 12 minutes of an opening of a little girl who's like the little, who's as white as a lily flower, by the way? Even if she's not, she looks it. Like, you know, that's all I could tell you. I don't know who she is. I'm saying this is how she comes across on screen. And by screen, I mean my TV. And by that, I mean you had a captive audience, Warner Brothers. You had a captive audience. And by the way, no one thought this movie was good. At best, people are arguing that it was good, it was kitschy. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not what you want your movie to be good. Metrics. And I have, I mean, I have notes, man. <laughs> notes and notes well, because it made me so angry. Go on. Well, no, I, I, I mean, I agree with you. Um, and so I want to get into it. But I, I do have a question right, right off the bat because I forgot because I was so goddamn bored and mad at the movie. What did the opening actually do to tie into the movie? Nothing. At the end of it. Right? I mean, I guess like it was what? that she doesn't give up. Well, she didn't give up then. She just took the cheated. shortcut because no, she, she just fell cheated. off her horse. Yeah, like, but they did, I don't, I don't remember how that ties back. Like, the lesson should have been in when she got there and she didn't get the victory. That um, you know, whatever her mom tells her, whatever that message was that her mom kind of gave her that yeah. at that age was supposed to like shine through the movie. I don't remember where that was or how it tied back at all. Period. Jason is not even a professional screenwriter, and he understands that if you're going to watch something for any amount of time in an opening of a film, it better damn well relate to the end of the film. How you don't have, even if it was crappy, Robin Wright's voice, at least, if not another shot of her, coming back and saying, you'll need to do this, do, do, do. And, and then she goes, oh, and then, then da, da, and her can of spinach. How they don't do that, Jason? Hey. This is what I'm saying. It's like they had a bunch of, um, I, I want to say cats, <laughs> in a room just going they didn't even do the meow mix song they didn't go meow 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 meow
Sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. By the way, it still sounds better. Explain yeah, to yeah, me yeah, yeah. why Soul, which is one of probably the best movies of 2020, genius, why they feel they can do a movie in an hour and 58 minutes and Wonder Woman with zero plot, zero through line, zero structure, zero meaning behind the script, feels like they have to torture us for two and a half hours with dialogue such as... But Steve, how? I don't know. <laughs> so you think it's the wishing stone? Oh, I yeah. don't know what I think. I just hope I'm wrong. <laughs> well, wait a minute. You just said you don't know what you think. So if you, so you hope you're wrong that you don't know? <laughs> I mean, what the fuck? Who is writing this? That's oh, my yeah. second F-bomb because I'm so angry. Well, I mean, and this is the thing about the movie. When it first came out, after we got through that opening, which was long... And not related, as you said, not so related. smartly, which is not the right word there. Me and Land actually talked a little bit about it on Facebook, too. But Land says, uh, "World uh, Wonder Woman 84 was only made for that bullshit 80s menswear montage. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, doing that was part, and that's on, like, page four of my notes, because that's how many notes there were before that happened. But uh -huh. that emasculation of Chris Pine, and by the way, I don't mind dudes being emasculated if it's funny. Right. I mean, it can be funny, but it was like a bunch of people who got together and like, OK, instead of doing the women, we're going to do the dude. But really, just don't do anybody. It's right. the 80s. Everyone's wearing bad clothes. I lived it. I, yeah. I know. Everyone knows. Just do your job. Sorry. Everybody wears bad clothes, except then they wear like modern. Everything looks it's not modern, but it doesn't look 80s like you couldn't place the clothes like they try and make it as nondescript as possible for the rest of the movie other than Chris Pine. Yeah, it's um, so gross that Gal Gadot is wearing basically like, uh, you know, Yves Saint Laurent, you know, brand. It's code. It's couture, but it's like make it look like the 80s. Yeah. Like, oh, but she wouldn't dare be seen in real 80s garb. Exactly. Yeah, no one's honest in this movie. So when when the movie first comes on, and after that first opening scene that made no sense, that I'm but it, but I that I hoped would tie back. So I wasn't mad at it all the way yet because I didn't know where it was going. Oh, I knew right? immediately it wasn't tying back, and they were just wasted more of my time. Continue. <laughs> this is going to go on until tomorrow, until yeah. Wednesday's episode. So when when they go to the the mall and everything's going in the way, it's all set up with these weird like almost comical like uh, villains, like these bad guys trying to rob this. Uh, jewelry store it was like a very big flashback to not even superman one or two not the donner ones but superman three before richard Pryor joins where it's just like this comedy of errors that gets you to a a, a crime um that happens um in in one of the stars uh in those with like the john williams score going in the background so i was like okay maybe they're trying to recreate kind of that feel of the old like 70s 80s superman by having like this guy go over here and then this guy not talk and then she comes in and then there's a kid over the board and the the actors are so bad they're like one minute they're like don't drop the baby but then they're also throwing things at wonder woman when she saves the baby which didn't make any sense to me how could you be like we want to make sure our villains aren't like baby droppers, but we also want to make sure they shoot people in the mall, right? Like they they have a line there that didn't make any sense to me, but I was like, okay, maybe it's just like, I want to make my script in this fight an 80s throwback. Like, did you, what, what, what I was making excuses for it right then. By that point of it, I was already like, mm. right. and then. No, let's 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 go through this. I like what we're doing here because okay, okay. You, yeah, let's go through that. Smart. So, so talk to me about that because did you what did you see when that in that opening montage? That's what I was trying to see. That's what okay. I was hoping they were going for. Okay, I mean, listen, that's a very smart insight. Unfortunately, even if they were going for it, it did not work. Right. Now, but, but but let's let's start where you started. Right at the opening of this scene, what's Land saying? 
Kristen, what? Should have been. It was not even Apex Predator. What the fuck was she? We'll get there, Land. We're going to go through this with Jason like we're doing. Sequence by sequence. So let's just talk about this. That opening sequence of the robbery. First of all, from a story... Let, let's talk about it from a story angle. Okay? From a story angle, it is... The only reason that entire heist is there is twofold. One, to see Wonder Woman in her suit with the worst action you've ever seen in your life. Oh, we'll my God. That. We'll oh get back to that. Wait, we're talking about story. So I, I, I misjumped. So to see Wonder Woman in a suit so we can get the audience like, okay, there's Wonder Woman. There's Gal. She's in the suit. Then the other reason is to get that wishing stone into the FBI's office so the FBI could have Kristen Wiig's character analyze the stone because she's a gemologist, right. which I've met several gemologists. Bad casting. <laughs> that being said, um, so from a story angle, you what I realize immediately is that I'm watching this thing. I know it's all around whatever the artifact is that they went into the back room for, which right. is why they went in the middle of the day to right. do it when they get like the mall is not a high security place, dude. Right. And it didn't look like the um the the that jewelry store was particularly careful about like there's not there's not all that stuff. None of that stuff was in a vault. It was in like the back room where you also wash your hands and like if you're not wearing your um your Zales shirt, you put your Zales shirt on real quick and button it up and make sure the clip-on tie's on. Like, it doesn't look like it was in, like, this secure area right. wherever they get these artifacts now. Right, and the decision was, so from a story angle, from a character angle, so from a character angle, that means that the big bad guy, the wish dude, he had these, you know, keystone bumbling idiots, you know, go rob a mall in broad daylight so he could get that that wish wishing stone, right? Yeah, all but, Go ahead. All dressed like they're going on um, their tourists going to Disneyland the first time in 1984. Like, like they're. <laughs> okay, but wait. So, so from a story. You're so right. And from the, from the story angle, right? It's like, first of all, here's a just off the top of my head, okay? Everybody, uh, a better scene. Let's meet. What was the guy who played? Because he's a good actor. Maxwell you know? Lord. Yeah. He's a good actor, that guy. Yeah. That's, uh, that's the Mandalorian. Didn't Jermaine or whatever that guy, Pedro yeah, Pascal. Yeah, great looking guy, great actor. You know, I mean, again, he's being misused, right? He's being misused completely in this because if I'm doing this and I have, that's my big bad guy, then why am I opening it with a bunch of robbers that he, I would rather open it after that robbery failed mm -hmm. and have him in the room like Robert De Niro when he takes the bat across the guy's head at the big dinner table because they mm -hmm. fucked up. Now I know who the bad guy is. Right. And then all I need to hear is that the FBI, that robbery that went bad, which we just met the bad guy, now I'm like, ooh, that guy's a formidable villain. Right. You know, and that's the bad version. At least that's my bad version right. of it. Right. Now, but again, so you're showing us people who we'll never see again. These people don't come back. That's twice now, Jason. Right. Twice. And now let's talk about, okay, so now here's the other level, the action level. Well, we need some action. <laughs> that was literally 80s action. Oh, yeah. It was absolutely 80s action. Uh, Land Romo says uh, he was so awful. I'm boycotting uh, the Mandalorian. Join and the club. <laughs> um, and in this action, so there's a so, couple so parts. It failed on the action level. So that's all I'm saying. So the yeah, action yeah. level it failed. On, okay, but on the story level it failed. On the character levels it failed, and on plot level. So story yeah. plot. So so there's that that the whole thing because you know they've set up this weird world where they've decided that none of the superheroes were alive until. Superman, but they also want to make sure that they make this a throwback. So the first thing she has to do is break all the uh, 
all the video cameras in the place by throwing her her uh, her tiara on everything, which is absurd because everybody saw her. So they're superheroes back then. Like this it doesn't make any so, sense. Wait, I What's have to stop point? you here because I'm going to ask you a question. That, and I think I asked you this, but I don't remember what you said. What the fuck is going on? Is is Wonder Woman exist in the DCEU or does Wonder Woman not exist at this point in time? Because she's walking around in a suit in the middle. Just answer the question. <laughs> so technically the world is so not supposed to be aware of superheroes at this time. They don't really make their appearance until Superman and he becomes the first like superhero. And that's what, you know, and the, the, the hero worship, because you need a man to come first in, in, in this thing in a weird sort of way. Plus that's how they kind of plotted it out. So she is not around. She has a very similar arc to captain America mm -hmm. where she kind of like disappears and, you know, comes back and then she's not seen. So supposedly she's working in the shadows like Batman dressed in no clothing, fighting people in the mall in the middle of the day. Nobody knows about her and nobody will know about her technically supposed to know about her for until uh, till the Justice League, basically, or a little bit before. Okay. So again, another great point, right? This didn't even work on an extras level, right? If that was the first time we are seeing people who are superheroes, then you should have cast actors. Like Patty Jenkins, you're spending a quarter of, what are you spending, half a billion dollars? What was the freaking budget on this thing? Do you know? Oh, it, I'll have to look, but I'm sure it was yeah. 150 to $200 million. Right. You're spending this is the biggest DC movie. Right. So how are you in your first AD and your second AD not being like, all right, extras. All right, we, we need actors as extras, first of all. So, so call them specialists because they have to act because it's the first time they're ever seeing a superhero. Does yeah. that seem like a bunch of people who were first? It would be like if a gray alien walked into, um, you know, Arclight in the middle of a film and was like, hello, <laughs> right. I am a gray alien. We have right. been here for 60 years. And we're all like, ah, get out of the way. Yeah. Screen, yeah. we're watching a movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, They're that's all like, what happened. hey, that over there, I got to go get my Julius not getting out of this line. Right. Um, yeah. But now we've watched about 20 minutes of nonsense that has nothing to do other than the wishing stone being unsuccessfully stolen. And, and, and let me ask you this quick question, though. When he grabs a little kid, right, as a hostage, right, and then he holds a little kid up like a shield, right? All right, so that I, I already hear the suits like, all right, that'll make him bad. You know, if he could just say something bad about gay people, they're like, no, it's 1984, we can't do that, but we can have, because people still didn't like gay people in 84. It was not like we have to be <laughs> with the times, you know? It's like, right. these are the moronic things that get said in rooms when movies come out like this, right? right. But what was the point? So he's holding the kid as a shield. All right, at least I could say there's a bad guy logic there. There's a mustache twirling, uh, you know, villainous aspect to that. Right. Okay. When he's about to let the girl go, what's his insurance? He's just going to kill a kid? He's just right. like, oh, I'm going to let her go. I'm going to let her go. Get back. No one's getting back, dude. All the guns are on you. If you let her go, you're dead. And then you, all you did was kill a kid. So right. what was the logic? Now you can continue. Right. I'm, well, two things. $200 million budget first. $200 million budget. Second, um, I guess the whole, you know, the concept is you shoot me, kid dies, right? He was already dropping her. Right, which is the thing, right? Who's but that's the only logic you guy? can have. Shoot her, I, you shoot me, I'll let go because I'm going to get, I'll be dead and my hands won't work, right? That's the only thing you can think of. It was such a mess. Like, Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Did, did Patty Jenkins, um, did she uh, channel Chris Walken in Saturday Night Live with more cowbell? <laughs> Because I feel like that's all she did was walk on set. I needed bigger, more cowbell. <laughs> well, well, I mean, speaking of like 
I get like that the, she's got a magic rope. In the first one, she's running around with a sword and shield all the time. This one, she decided everything was going to be lassoed. Everything was going to be lassoed. And that lasso would look like the cousin of the fucking magic fucking rug from Aladdin, the Aladdin cartoon, where it just kind of sticks out like a sore thumb. Like you could tell it was animated with a computer where the rest of the movie was animated by um, by hand. It looks like Roger Rabbit rope because it's like this golden yellow bullshit. And she's swinging around, throwing it. It can connect to anybody. It lands like anything. It's like Spider-Man's like there. You don't need another person swinging on things, especially not this. Like grab her sword, do the other things. Like, But everything could be done with this rope. It can go as high. Like if she's, and we're not even to this part yet, so I'm not yeah. going to go too far, but like, if she's on the ground and she jumps high enough, she mm -hmm. can throw it at an airplane. She could throw it at a jet. Yeah, what the well, fuck? And use but it like, like she's uh, piggybacking on a bus with a skateboard. Right. But she's like, but she does all this stuff in this this scene where she's like throwing it behind her and it's, it's got its own thing, but she's so good with it. She makes fucking Indiana Jones and, and Spider-Man obsolete all at the same time because that's what she does now. She swings around. It was ridiculous. I have nothing to say other than yes. And oh, she flies now? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She flies now. Yeah, and we're not even there now. yet. She flies now. We haven't even got out of the first scene. This all nothing made what sense. What has she been doing since 1938 or 1930? What was the last time we left her? Yeah, we, we, basically right after World War One, she kind of went oh. underground for a little bit. And she may be out every once in a while. Yeah, land rope. Exactly. Rope caught a bullet. She caught a bullet with the rope. Yeah, and by the way, this is, again, not good tech, not good FX, not good action. There's nothing in here where I'm like, how about the first time I saw that movie? I can't even think of the name of it with Chris Hemsworth that was on Netflix where they did that shot. Oh, Extraction? Yes. How about that? That action was a trillion times better than anything in Wonder Woman 1 or 2. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, and by the way, she's like, oh, let's go to Egypt. Oh, but you don't have a passport. Oh, you mean the guy whose body you hijacked? For the Your engineer that works in D.C.? Yeah, he doesn't have he doesn't have a uh, uh, an identity yeah. or a passport. Oh, I oh, saw God. something funny. I think Alex Zalbin posted or someone said, like, what about the lost days? I want to see a movie on the lost days where that guy's trying to get the days where Chris Pine had his body. He's like, right. what happened from Monday to Saturday? He went to sleep after... Porking some model like or like some uh some political intern at whatever like DC whatever DC steakhouse he was Handsome like getting on girls at right like he's at a DC Flemings like trying to hook up with political interns he went yeah. to bed he boned one went home went to bed woke up and the world's over yeah woke up and like well I just woke up and what's going on and who of course he runs into the hottest woman in the world and 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 then he goes hey cool later like well, I thought that was a company. weird in and interesting way to do it like where where he just goes hey how's it going and she goes good and he goes cool and then it just leaves like it was such a bizarre fucking scene it, it, like i'm glad really he didn't was... hit on her because in a way that made it would make him like skanky and i understand that why he didn't do it but it was also like the weird like why would you have an interaction like that if you weren't hitting on somebody right he's like oh do these clothes look familiar to you they seem to spark a yeah. memory do I, that, look, that... do I look okay yeah like I, i'm very interested in these exact clothes that ended the last montage right. i mean like it's like we have to stop right but i mean we're going to continue this on yeah wednesday. We're, we're, we'll call it wonder wednesday yeah let's wonder do wednesday let's do that and, and uh if we can get uh, I'm not even going to say it, but, but uh, it's my well, fault too. I, I watched I, it. Hey, listen, I, I just it. want, I just wanted to tell you, all I told you, man, was that they're making three. Yeah, this is, that's this what's my fault. <laughs> I watched it. You watched it and now they're like, oh, it's a success. Yeah. Well, everyone was home. 
Everyone was home, locked in their house with a you had a captive audience. Okay, yeah, let's we see had what two, happens. We had two movies to watch that were new and they were free, yeah. right? There yeah. were two. You can watch one of the two or both. And or I did both. both. And uh, if we have a little time, I don't think we will, but we'll get into we'll get into Soul, which was beautiful. 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 One of the best movies of 2020. So, okay, on that note, we will do Wonder Wednesday on our next episode. Um, So, everyone else, thank you for being here. Stay safe, stay sane, stay strong. Jason Smith. Cliff Dorfman, I love you, everybody. Bye, Land Romo. Thank you for everything. Thank you, Jason Bentley.